0: Um, this podcast is slightly different to the previous podcasts in as much as I'm not talking about stories of um, things I've managed to get up to from time to time. But I wanted to talk about the basic underlying philosophy of, of uh, the Creative Photography Academy and the way I teach photography, and that is to um, encourage people to not be photographers but to be visual storytellers. And I thought it was worth saying a little bit about what the philosophy is behind that approach. So the first thing is that there are a lot of simple mistakes that a lot of photographers make. Quite often they will get fixated by a subject and not look at what's happening around it. So This is where the classic tree growing out of somebody's head or a telegraph pole or whatever it is, where that comes from. Or they don't take any notice of the background, so they get, again so fixated on the subject that they're not looking at what's going on around them. So this is where you've got a, maybe a great family portrait in a park and there's a couple of dogs mating in the background or something ridiculous like that. So what people tend to do is to get fixated on one thing through the viewfinder or on their LCD screen, uh, on the, on the, if they're on the phone or on a um, mirrorless camera, and they forget to look at the rest of the uh, frame. What else is in that picture? What else um, is going on there? And they don't think about either what the outcome is they want. So sometimes I will shoot a photograph and I know that I, I don't want it in color. I, obviously, we see in color, so that's what we see when we're looking through a viewfinder. Now, I'm sure with some of the LCDs, I don't have it, but. Um, I'm pretty sure you can flip them to black and white so you can see the black and white image before you shoot it. I come from the days of film where we didn't do that. We had to imagine it. And that means that we had to learn how to visualize the final image before we press the shutter button. And I think in doing that, it's a very good discipline to have because it allows you to uh, move very quickly when it comes time to take in a photograph. You can take the shot very quickly. But also you can set it up knowing that there are certain things you want to do in post-processing. And post-processing is something that most people do these days. Most of the image, well, pretty much any image that I post anywhere has been post-processed. I know some people have a concern about whether or not that is ethical. My first answer to that is that whether or not it's ethical is up to you. (laughs) If you intend it to be ethical, then it probably is. And if you intend it to not be ethical, then it definitely won't be secondly you have to remember that what the camera sees and what gets recorded on the um on the memory card inside the camera or even on the film is not the same as what you see with your eye brain combination we have very sophisticated visual systems built in if you like and we compensate automatically for low light for for, for a whole range of things and a camera doesn't have that level of sophistication so Quite often, you'll shoot something, I'm thinking sunsets here is a classic case in point, something that looks absolutely amazing. But when you look at photographs, it's just totally different. They have no depth to them. They're very flat images. And it's simply down to the way the electronics are working as opposed to what's happening between our eyes and our brain. So that's one reason to post-process. Coming back to visualising the shot, if you intend to do something with it, from a post-processing perspective you can see all of that once you get a bit of experience you can begin to see all of that before you before you hit the shutter button and some of that comes from knowing the package so I don't push any particular post-processing package I happen to use Photoshop but only because I know how to use it 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 is a a very powerful um, piece of software but there are certainly others as well that are very good And because I've used Photoshop a lot now, I know what I want to do with it. I know what I can get it to do to create the particular image I want. Having said all of that, for a typical image, I won't spend more than about two minutes post-processing it. So I'm not somebody who's spending hours and hours setting up a a particular picture. I know there are people who do that and there are certain disciplines, certain um, types of macro photography where you shoot these very thin slices that are in focus and then you put them together or astrophotography where you, you sort of stack up shots to get an overall effect there are certainly uh, disciplines within photography where you would uh, use multiple exposures where you would expect to uh, do a lot of post-processing but for what I do I do very little i as I said i I rarely spend more than two minutes on a particular image so that all comes down to visualizing the final image and that comes back to coming back to this idea of the visual storyteller it comes back to knowing what the story is that you're trying to tell now the reason the other reason i think visual storytelling is very important is that we are natural storytellers human beings we we tell stories if you look at how popular um hollywood is how popular tv is soap operas all of this kind of stuff and it's very easy to get drawn in because we just love stories it's wired into our dna So as a photographer, I mean, this particularly goes for any kind of art form, but definitely as a photographer, you want to be telling a story. And how do you do that with a single image? You could maybe, it's easier over several images because you kind of build up a narrative as you go. But if you think about some of these iconic photojournalism photographs, and um, I'm sure you've got your own, I'm I'm not going to mention any particularly here, but uh, there are so many to choose from what is it about that particular photograph that appeals to you how do you feel connected to it and the chances are you've made an emotional connection to it that's why you feel strongly and there are things you can do in photography that will allow you to heighten the emotional feel of a a particular image so the first part of that process is to visualize the overall image the final image that you're trying to shoot then to photograph it, to make sure your camera is exposing correctly, that you've got the the kind of raw data, as it were, to work on. And then you pop it into post-processing and you um, you do the final adjustments and final tweaking there. And then the fourth part of the process, I tend to teach four-part process. So the, the first part is imagining the picture, if you like, seeing the final picture, but imagining and looking at what's really there, so it comes down to observation and imagination uh, working together. The second part is actually taking the photograph, so that requires a a certain level of understanding of your um, camera. The third part is post-processing, so as I've already said, you need to have at least a working understanding of what you can do with the package that you're using so that you know what the possibilities are for a particular shot. And then the final thing is the emotional connection with the image. And that's that might, might well vary from person to person. So in a single image I shoot, it might mean something to me. When somebody else looks at it, it might mean something completely different. And this, again, is where it stops becoming a discipline as such. And it becomes an art form. It becomes subjective. People will like different things about your work. Some people won't like your work because they don't get it. Or the life experience doesn't align with your life experience and the story that you see when or that you saw when you took the shot and the story that you're trying to put across. So all of these are elements of the um the visual storyteller idea but I think the strongest is to just just getting down to basics, getting down to the actually using the camera, it makes you really look at what's in the what's in the viewfinder. Then start thinking about composition do you want your subject in the middle do you want it off to one side? how do you create a, a feeling of time or a feeling of movement and you can do that by using space in the photograph so the the air and what I mean by that is basically the part of the the frame that doesn't include the subject what else is there? can you use other elements here I'm thinking about things like um trees or lampposts or the line of a pavement to create leading lines which take the viewer on a journey through the photograph. One definition I love and I often mention, well I keep forgetting who said it, <laughs> is that the definition of, of a good photograph is basically the longer somebody spends looking at it the better it is and I just love that as an idea. So one of the little tricks you can do is not shoot everything's square just tilt your camera very slightly particularly if you've got horizontal or vertical lines uh, patterns of horizontal or vertical lines in your photograph by putting them off just tilting the camera very slightly so they're no longer square you immediately make that a more interesting photograph and I think part of that as well is shooting from a viewpoint that people don't normally have so What I mean by that is that most photographs I see are shot by people at normal eye level. They just stand there, they hold the camera up to their face and they shoot what they see. So that's fine, but that's what everybody else sees pretty much. Unless you're extremely tall or extremely short, that's what what you're shooting is pretty much the same as what everybody else sees. So another great thing to do to get people's attention is to shoot a subject they may well be very familiar with but shoot it from a different angle, either get down very low or go up high somewhere and shoot down on it. Now, um, when I was living in Sydney, I, I, I used to really enjoy doing photo walks and I used to do that with We Were Observers, with Shane Rosario and Colin Winter-Seaton. Uh, mostly Colin and I would do it towards the end, but I really enjoyed doing those. But we were we would vary the, the routes we took around Sydney. We'd meet at the um, Museum of Contemporary Art, in Circular Quay, if you know um, Circular Quay in Sydney, and then we would head off sometimes to the rock, sometimes we'd go over the other side to the harbour bridge, we do, we do. or sometimes we'd stay in that area and just work up towards the uh, um, where the, the bars were and everything. The thing about it is, for the people who are coming on the walks, a lot of them it was all new and they're learning new things, so it was interesting, but for us who were doing it every two weeks, we'd run them fortnightly. Uh, I I would sometimes just not be inspired. So the thing I used to do is just put my camera down on the ground and take a photograph. Now, often it wasn't particularly good, (laughs) but the thing about it is I was getting a different viewpoint and just looking at that photograph would inevitably give me some idea. And then I would start thinking about how to frame things differently, how to um, just choose a different angle and in turn show that to people, particularly people who would come along regularly because they would have heard... Um, what what we were doing they would have heard it all before we would set a challenge for the walk and um, it might be to find circles and squares or find contrasts or leading lines or whatever it might be and that added another dimension uh, to doing those walks so again when you're thinking about your photography if you want to start creating photographs that stand out think about your viewpoint and another thing to do is to Take a photograph of something and then change your viewpoint and then change it again and change it again. Try and do it five, six, seven, eight times, whatever it takes to get a number of different perspectives of that same subject. Because again, what tends to happen is you try one idea, or if you go get down really low and shoot it, or get up high and shoot down on it, or even get in really close and take a detailed shot of it. Maybe when um, I mean, I'm looking at a tree now as I speak, so maybe getting and uh, do a very close-up view of the the texture of the, uh, the bark and then flip that to a black and white. Black and white is all about shapes and textures. So just doing that can give you a, a completely different take on something that you might look at every day or look at um, little growths that are there on a tree and photograph those, go into real detail. Look at what's on the tree. There might be insects living there. So the point about it is that if you start giving yourself... I guess, habitually, a range of different ways to shoot the same subject, you almost can't avoid but inspire yourself by, um, by, by shooting one thing many different ways, and then you might get ideas for the next thing you come across. It just gets you to see what's around you in um, a different way. And that comes back to, again, the visual storytelling. Uh, one of the or the key concepts underneath We are Observers that Shane Rosario came up with well to be a good photographer you're an observer first and um, an observer is essentially a photographer without a camera so a good photographer will really see what's around them see the detail and you only see that by stopping and looking and thinking about it but you will see things that are there that other people in the same place they just won't see them it might be the detail in an iron railing or it could be the way the um, a shadow falls across uh, something uh, at a certain time of day. There there are so many things once you start opening up and um, exploring that. So observation is absolutely key. And again, as a storyteller, be the visual storyteller of places that other people go to regularly, places they maybe go most days. And yet you're showing them, you're telling them the story of something that they didn't even know was there, even though they may have walked past it hundreds or thousands of times. So again, storytelling is, a good deal of storytelling is observation, because if you can't see it, you can't photograph it, you can't then tell the story to other people. Once you have seen it, the thing then to do is, how are you looking at it? How can you get somebody else to see this thing in a different way, even though they may have seen it as I've said, every day, or it's something they might see uh, most days of their life. So do try with different angles, try with getting in close, uh, far away, wide angles. Um, use the characteristics of uh, lenses that you have available. So wide angles will tend to, as, as you go wider, they'll tend to distort the image. So things that are, very, uh, that are closer to the camera uh, lens appear much, much closer, things that are further away, go further away so you get that uh, depth distortion by using a wide angle lens and you get the exact opposite with the telephoto lens you get a a, um it compresses perspective and what i mean by that if you've ever seen uh, an athletics event that's the one i remember from when i was young if you're watching a let's say a long distance race and they're taking a shot right down the straight it's when the um you know, the guy leading comes around the curve and uh, then starts running down the straight. And then a few seconds later, somebody else appears around the curve and starts running behind the first person. With a very long um, lens, very long telephoto, they'll look like, it will look like that the second person is right behind the first person, even though there was a delay of a a few seconds before they appeared. Whereas if you saw that same view from side on, you'll realise that that second person is quite a long way back. But because you're using a telephoto, it tends to bring things that that are far away much closer. And obviously, that's why we use a, a long uh, focal length lens to uh, see things that are further away, but bring them much, much closer. And that's a way that the um, perspective, if you like, between the two two people, the two um, objects, whatever it is, becomes compressed when you use a telephoto. So a lot of this experimentation is getting familiar with the equipment you've got. using it in a very um, creative way thinking about it from the perspective of showing something in a way that it wouldn't normally be seen now another thing um, that i think is really important and i'll i guess i'll finish on this is just understanding your camera because cameras these days are really good they will do a lot of work for you they'll do a lot of the calculations for you they'll do uh, yeah, you know do an awful lot to get the right exposure for you and all these things that are really important and i know a lot of people get quite intimidated by all of the, the menu pages and things that are on them now i will admit i although i've been through all of the major uh, the menu pages on my cameras I, I couldn't immediately remember how to find things if i'm totally honest i don't look at um, the menus very often except one or two things that i might want to check regularly it might be my you know how my batteries are doing that kind of thing The thing I am very on top of, though, are the modes of the camera. And what I mean by that is that fully auto is one mode, fully manual is another one. And then cameras, uh, pretty much every camera I've come across, have some others in between, maybe two or three other options in between. So it's good to get an idea of what those give you, um, the, the, the options you have on your camera, understand what they are, and what level of automation that you have. Because if you start with fully auto, which I know is how a lot of people like to use their camera, The camera does absolutely everything for you, but the creative control you have is very limited. If you go to fully manual, the camera does almost nothing for you, but you've got full creative control. Now, for most people, you want to be somewhere between those two extremes. So um, that's why I say start to learn the modes, find which ones work for you. And then when you use them, the camera is doing a lot of the heavy lifting and you can focus on your shot on the creative aspects of your photography and telling that story and be actually being uh, cognizant, thinking about the story that you want to tell and why you're interested in shooting that particular subject. So that's pretty much it. Slightly different to the normal podcast, but I hope you find that interesting. If you want to know more, uh, just go to www.creativephotographyacademy.com and this is the underlying uh, philosophy for the two uh, online photography courses I have, the smart one for smartphone, one for DSLR and mirrorless, and you'll find more information about them on the uh, website. So thanks for your time, and um, I'll speak to you uh, at some point in the future. Bye for now. Just before I go, I want to let you know that there's a couple of ways you can support me if you feel so inclined. Uh, with the podcast, Buzzsprout, which is the um, the platform I use for all of my podcasts, they have a subscription model. So if you feel that you would like to subscribe, a few dollars, a few euros, whatever, um, to the podcast, that would be much appreciated. The other option is my Patreon membership. So if you'd like to become a patron, and that starts at the price of a cup of coffee every month, you'll get access to exclusive material, behind-the-scenes material, photography tips, all this kind of stuff, depending on which tier you're at. So there is information available through my website and um, also on the uh, uh, the written text to go with this podcast. So if you choose either one, thank you so much in advance. And whether or not you do, I hope you uh, continue to enjoy the podcast and let other people know about them. Thank you very much. Bye for now.